the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. Welcome, everyone, to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I have my co-host here, Bobby Goldstein. Say hello, Bobby. <laughs> Uh, the new name is Barbie Goldstein. Barbie. Yeah. Well, come on, Barbie. Let's go podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. So, Barbie, we just got back from Waco Surf. Has anyone been there? That was fun. It was very fun. You're looking like a California surfer again right now. You know, I'm in the vibe and I'm feeling a little broy. I haven't showered in a couple of days. Wow. I'm sure that pool was really clean. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you want to see what Barbie looks like, we do have a YouTube channel, The Big Silence. Oh, oh yeah. Not not of you. Mm. Like with all the podcast videos to see oh, got it. Barbie in real My life. My downward spiral <laughs> since we started this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So <sighs> I am very excited for today's guest. So it's Emil Nava. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to him before we recorded. And and first of all, I read his story and he was raised by a father that was diagnosed with acute paranoid schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And then we talked the day before we went on the podcast and the conversation just lasted. And it was literally the same, similar stories, which is so interesting and which is why I do this podcast is because getting to know people and realizing that you're not alone and so many similar stories. And the more we talk about it, the more we heal. Mm-hmm. So Emil is amazing. I love this conversation. He was in LA when we did the podcast together, shooting a Justin Timberlake music video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he took some time for me. I'm hoping that guy, Justin Timberlake, I hope he puts in a little more time because I really feel like his big break is coming. <laughs> yes. Perhaps this video. This but, is going to put him on the map. Emil Nava is a music video director. Do you know, like every artist that you've you listened to and you've heard of, from uh, Post Malone, Ed Sheeran, uh, Calvin Harris, Eminem, J Lo, Dua Lipa, mm. Mm, your favorite. Yeah, I remember listening to Howard Stern, and he was like previewing 
Dua Lipa songs, and he was like, he didn't like it. That was the one time I think I've ever been disappointed in Howard Stern. <laughs> Big fan of Dua Lipa over here. Howard Stern, if you're listening, you really disappointed my husband. But not so much that I we'll stop. still love him. <laughs> but the other cool thing is Emil has a new film coming out. And it's called Snorkeling. And it's about drugs and youth. And we talk about that. And we talk about the fentanyl epidemic. And just the conversation was so good. So I'm so excited to have you listen to this podcast episode with Emil. And make sure... As always, share it with someone who you think could have some good takeaways from it and enjoy it. And Bobby, is this mm-hmm. your commercial? Oh, yeah. Bobby um, set up my book next to us. I'm sponsored by The Big Silence Book by Karina Dawn. You can get it on Amazon, thebigsilence.com. Uh, we're at any local retailer. And buy two, okay? Or three, or four. Okay, enjoy the episode. Yeah. Hello, Emil Nava. Welcome to the podcast, The Big Silence. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I'm excited because you just told me yesterday when we were chatting that this is your first podcast. So It is my first. It feels like I've done a podcast before, but not a legitimate one. You know? Oh, you're calling me legitimate? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so you're in Los Angeles, um, out there for work. And I'm so excited that we got connected because as soon as I started learning more about you and then we've chatted, there's so many things that are similar about our lives, which um, then for anyone listening will connect with you and realize that you're not alone. Yes. I really enjoy our conversation. There's so much I want to talk about, but I would love to get to know kind of your background first, like where you came from and how you got here. Yeah, sure. I was born in London. I was born in London, to, uh, went home to Kentish Town. I actually still have that house in the family, which is amazing. We're doing it up at the moment, which is special. Um, but yeah, I lived there till I was like eight and then started getting into a lot of trouble. Um, was breaking the boundaries. I was set in the, in the city and just getting into a lot of fights. And my mom was just like, we got to get you out because she I guess she just saw a different future for me, you know, if I if I really stayed there because I was getting into a lot of trouble and I was only eight. <laughs> so it's crazy to think some of the memories and just to think I wasn't even like eight years old yet. But um, I have a question and I'll definitely, I just, I'd like to dive into this. So why do you think at eight years old you were getting into a lot of trouble? Is that just like in, in London, the kids? That's a, that's a very good question, actually. Even though I know that's a very clear timestamp in my life, I have never really thought about why. I mean, I think London was pretty rough then, you know, especially where I was growing up and I had a lot of energy. You know, I was a, I was a, I had a lot of energy. My dad had a lot of energy, you know, and he was a, you know, he was an actor and he was just, he was a wild, you know, wild, wild man. So I think that like I was out of the house a lot, you know, I think there's a lot of madness in the house, but I think. Yeah, I think my personality has always been very full on, I guess. So it's like, yeah, I guess I was just getting into a lot of mischief. Yeah, I mean, I I asked that question because I was probably 10, 11 when I started getting into mischief. But that was also because of being out of the home um, or wanting to be out of the home. But let's go from there. So you 
eight years old, living in London, being mischievous. (laughs) Being mischievous. And my mom was just like, we've got to get you out. So she grew up in the countryside. She was like, let's just move out to the countryside. I think at the time, my parents were breaking up, but they like also didn't really tell me that because a couple of years later, they were like, oh, we're not together. And he, my dad was already in London when we were in Dorset. Um, but the first, first day we moved to Dorset, my mum told me like, oh, you can't ride your bike in London. It's dangerous. And the first day we got to Dorset, she was like, let's go on this bike ride. And then when we were coming home, she left me. I said I wanted to hang out with this kid. And basically she just heard screams and I just got smashed by this like massive van and like it broke both my legs and my head was smashed open on the wall. Um, and I have some weird fantasy that like I did it on purpose. I can't, I, I can't remember it for like, I can't remember the whole day because I was in a coma for five hours or something. But the guy who hit me said I, I like just rode out in front of him. So I had this weird thing that it was my like me showing my mum that like it wasn't safe there, which feels pretty mad if I did do that. But and then yeah, grew up in Dorset. You know, I, there was a lot of racial stuff down there. I was like the only mix. There was probably like three you know, kids in the town who were mixed, uh, you know, so there was a lot of racism and I had a lot, a lot of fights. Like I was fighting way more than I was fighting in, in London, you know, and I was getting beaten up a lot by the like, older kids and I had no older brothers there. So it was, you know, I, I didn't really like it there and I was bad at school and they, you know, and all, it was just, it was a pretty mad time. So I started working in the kitchen and put my focus to there, like working hard, earning money. I just realized that if I worked, so I started working, I was like 11 or 12, you know, and then became a waiter and a spud boy and a chef and trained as a chef. I left school at 15, 16, 16, and then trained as a chef. Uh, and then when I was like mid 17, I, I had the chance to go work on a video in London and I wanted to kind of move back up and I had a chefing offer and I had this video offer. Um, and so I just went and worked on this music video and I was like, wow, compared to like working in the kitchen, I was like, this is so easy. Like these people don't know how good they got it. Um, and I still feel that this, that mid, the film industry is a very kind of like middle-class, like it's almost like a posh industry, you know, like, I don't know. It felt, it just felt so easy in comparison to like chefing. Um, and like at the time I thought I wanted to be an actor, you know, like, and a musician, I didn't really know. I just knew I wanted to do something creative yeah and i understand like creativity is very healing can we go back to your teen years before you left home early and i know you you shared you started smoking cigarettes at nine drinking at 15 (laughs) doing drugs at 16 and that was very much my timeline too (laughs) so yeah (laughs) and i know that we share a very uh complicated growing up with a parent and I've read a quote since watching my father and his madness was very difficult because I loved him but was also kind of scared of him can we talk about that and how that built you into the person you are yeah I mean my dad um my dad had an incredibly hard upbringing in Mexico he was you know homeless he didn't get he had a really awful relationship with his mom um he was hit by a bus when he was 15 and when he was in the coma, his father died. Um, and his mother basically told him, like, because you got hit by the bus, uh, you, your dad hung himself. So, you know, my dad, for many years, thought he kind of killed his own father. And they had this amazing relationship and he hated his mom. So, you know, it kind of sent him off the rails a bit. And, you know, he got, he got diagnosed with acute paranoid schizophrenia. And we would always say that it was like a kind of egg on a spoon. You know, he would be completely normal. And then something that would happen, like exactly like me getting knocked off my bike. And then he would just go like 
Like when I got off of my bike, first thing I remember is him like coming into the thing, with, like into the hospital with like a bag of tools, I think. And he was like trying to find the guy who did it. And I was just like, oh, you know, so he was, when he went off the rails, he was like, absolutely, you know, he would even say that he was like, he was laying in a hole, looking up and watching himself like be out of control, not be able to do anything about it, which, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking when I think about it, you know, a lot. Um, because he really was wild and he could, I could see in his eyes that he just wasn't there, you know? So, mm -hmm. and he had this thing where he would love like me and my brothers and us boys, like his sons, like crazy passionate. It was the only time I saw him cry when he was kind of manic, but he would turn against his partners, you know, in a real crazy way. So, you know, obviously that was my mum. So it was, uh, you know, watching that was always pretty mad. And then how did, yeah. that's very interesting too. Um, so first of all, was your dad clinically diagnosed? He was, yeah. yeah. And he didn't take any, he wouldn't take any medication for it. Um, yeah. And I really only know this because my oldest brother made a documentary about him. And it really, that's the only way I knew. So I kind of have this weird thing where I know loads about my dad, but not from him, or, but just from a documentary about him, basically. Yeah. And that's so interesting, too, because that was, we were talking on the phone, like, in the, what, 80s, 90s, 2000, like, no one was talking about it. And so, it's, mm. uh, no one knew what schizophrenia was about being mad or any of that. And that's so interesting. Wait, I didn't know your brother made a documentary about it. Can, is it somewhere that we can see it? Yeah, yeah, it's out. It's called Big Fish. It's Big amazing. Fish. It's it, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. My, you know, I mean, I'm actually in it. I played my dad when he was like uh, a younger man, a young, a young boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's amazing, and it just dives into it. And you know, I think that was a pretty mad experience as well. He was kind of pretty wild through the making of it. Um, you know, so I've watched it a lot. You know, through my life, so it's very much cemented a pretty clear narrative. Yeah. you know, for me, I mean, his life. Um, and then as he got older and he ended up kind of passing away a few years ago, just listening to the stories as well of other people that knew him, you know, was just like, fucking hell, wow. He was just, he was so, yeah, it was like, I always say it, he was like magical as well as like mm -hmm. mad. He was like, he was, he, in his madness, he was like spectacular in some weird way, you know? Yeah, there's some kind of like brilliance in the madness. My grandfather was also diagnosed with schizophrenia and he was this inventor and he was so smart and he was yeah. i don't know if this is like in the 40s or 50s he was in the who's who's of inventions and there was some wow. magicalness in the madness it's yeah and i always i always joke that like I feel like when I'm working and creating and stuff, like I feel that the magic, I was, I don't even know. I used to say like the magic is in the madness, you know, like the magic for me, I would find in the craziness of the shoot, which is, you know, I think what I was saying before we got on, it's like I was shooting yesterday and today I just feel like so bad because I kind of have to like release, mm -hmm. you know, myself to the wildness. Yeah. I, I know when I was sharing the story of like when Katrina and I would shoot for days at a, a time and then we feel like we got hit by a truck, but also not only like the physically, physically putting it into it, but also the mental. And when I was on tour for my book that I just released after an event, I would just go on the tour bus and like lay down because you put so yeah. much out there mentally, physically, giving so much of your passion to others 
that it, I, I understand that feeling completely. Especially, I don't know about you, I'm an introvert, so. I know what you mean. It's funny. Like, I, if you asked any of my friends that like, am I an introvert, they'd be like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you're, but I think that I am ultimately incredibly shy. Like, if I have to talk like publicly, I'm sh- absolutely freaking out like like you know when i've won an award and i know that like, i'm going up like my heart feels like i felt so i'm about to have, have a heart attack but yeah when i go on a shoe i just have to like just forget it and just you know mm-hmm. release into it otherwise i'd never get it done yeah no i'm totally that way and i was really shy for many many years and i still am but it's just the i like to say i'm extroverted introvert you just know when you need to take it yeah. in and like have your alone time and turn the phone on do not disturb so okay, you're a teenager. You're um, you're going through all of your darkness. Like, what did that actually feel like? Because of what was going on at home, and then figuring out, like, how did you transition transition to California? I know there's, you're very nomadic right now, which we'll get into. Yeah, but. <laughs> you know, California came very out of the blue. Like, I said that I would never go to LA. Like, I always said, like, I want LA to be chasing me and not me to be chasing LA because I just think that when I would come here, it would just feel like everyone was in the bars, like, what are you doing? I don't know. Who are you working with? It's just that city, you know? So I was very much like, when it calls me, I'll go. And I actually left a full life in, in England, you know, when I moved. Um, I got a video here for Calvin Harris. And then I think I got another one with Ed Sheeran. And then I won a VMA like on that same trip. And then it was like I shot Jay. I was I remember I was on the the set with Jennifer Lopez and I was just like, it's it. Here we go. And I just phoned my apartment. I was like, I'm leaving. Um wait, hold on. First of all, how did yeah. you just jump into getting videos with like Calvin Harris and J Lo and I started making videos pretty quick. Like, so when I started in the film industry, I was pretty, you know, bullish because I would I'd already worked my ranks up. For, I was like I was like a cleaner in the kitchen, and a, then a waiter, then I peeled the spuds and prepped the fish, and then I was a chef. So I was like, I'm not, gonna, you know, I knew how to like pro- progress. So very quickly in the industry, I was like a PA, like a runner. Then I became like the guy who like pressed the videos and like, had all the wires, and then I became a second assistant director and then a first assistant director. I had an amazing time as a first. I got as a first assistant director. I got incredibly lucky. I was a blagger. I met a few cool directors and I ended up working on like the whole Amy Winehouse rehab album and just got some really blessed opportunities ultimately through being an absolute blagger. Um, and then I started making videos for my friends. Like, first video I paid £500 for to make this video and then made another one and another one. And each video ultimately gets you the next. And it's still the same now. Like I, I, if I don't make a few good videos or a few videos, then you kind of get forgotten. So I was making a lot of videos and I worked with this artist, Jessie J. I don't know if she's big out here, but mm-hmm. she's in London. She, in England, like we did her first video. <coughs> it was a small video and it just went massive. And it was like, it was, you know, she was so open about her sexuality and just who she was. And like, we just made this crazy video and, that was kind of went massive and then I got big videos with her off that and went on this big journey. Then this label were like, oh, we've got this new artist, Ed Sheeran, and like, he's a mate, he's going to be massive. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And then, hey, hey, presto. I mean, that was it. We did his first video, second video, third, like, and I just watched him go like, poof. And, and as he did, I did, you know, because I was doing all the videos with him. And that kind of got me to LA and then LA became its own kind of beast as well, you know? Yeah. 
We were talking about the L.A. Beast yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> we were definitely in some of the same clubs together. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> the back rooms, all of that. Mm-hmm. God. All, all the good, bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so how is your mental health? So growing up with a family who has a record with mental illness, with schizophrenia, how do you feel today or how do you manage any anxieties that you may have surrounding what could be yeah you know i've had passing thoughts that like oh i'm definitely gonna you know you know go down the same path with my dad but i just feel like my dad had these such insane ruptures in his life and i do believe if something you know i worry a lot about something massive happening in my life and it like sending me over the edge for sure but i also worry about that anyway you know i just i do worry that life can change so fast you know yeah. from, and, and even i even think that when i get sick if i get a little ill and you're like god oh, remember when you weren't ill like i just think like that in itself that feeling that life can just go like that you know and also in my work you know i've been like i've had like the worst moments of my career and then suddenly it's like and then you have like these you know so i think I ultimately quit drinking six years ago. That was a huge, huge, huge factor because I was like absolutely off the rails and was just like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just off the rails. And I think that that was just, I was impossible to manage my brain when I was like that. So, you know, I quit drinking. I got as healthy as I possibly can in my kind of body and my mind. And I mean, that's been really helpful, you know. Was your drinking making it hard for you to do your job or was you just exhausted or? Yeah, it's funny. It's a good question because I was like the busiest I'd ever been and the most successful I'd ever been, but I was the maddest I would like. I remember the last, the time when I really was like, I got to sort this out is was a couple. One, I was like up all night in this, this massive party in my hotel and then my assistant knocked on the door and She's like, you got a tech scout. And I'm like, what? Like, I had to go to this location. So I get in the car. I do like two, she gives me, they give me like, I give two Adderall. I do like, I'm drinking beers. I get, I do the work. I go take like a, a bite or whatever, a vat, you know, these were all new to me. I wouldn't take, you know, it's like a vat, whatever the one that brings you down is, mm-hmm. you know. And then I was just, a, and I was a mess. And then I did another shoot. I was up till 5 a.m. and then I had a panic attack on it. And it was just, it was affecting me, I think, but not really my work. Cause in a way, like I said, like I feel that like my madness in a way gave you the creativity. Didn't, yeah, it didn't harm my work. So I was just like, fuck, this is the idea. Let's do that. Like it just yeah. was very fluid. But for my body, I mean, I was going to die. You know, I was just, I could never yeah. sustain it, the amount I was doing. Yeah. And so now six years sober, and I understand, you know, you've had this summer was rough for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah i mean it's been few, rough for a lot of yeah. people in the past two years and <laughs> the pandemic and everything so yeah i had a few friends who were sober who said they really drunk and went down the rabbit hole in mm-hmm. covid mm-hmm. covid for me i just was in absolute beast mode i i had a you know i had a new family my i have a business that was like crumbling in front of my eyes just that i was in like beast mode but then now coming out of it i'm all like feeling elated and i'm like oh i'm on holiday i can just have like one drink you know and then one drink is one cigarette is four drinks is like oh i'm on the air you know just i know what i'm doing you know yeah do you have any tips for anyone listening who is always in recovery and 
Because does that bring you a lot of guilt when you've been sober for so long and then you do that? Like, what does that feel like? And what is your advice for someone who's experiencing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, guilt for me is something that I've definitely realized I have a lot. I always had guilt about not seeing my father. I had guilt about moving to LA. I have to, I've heard always guilt has been a big part of my life. So I definitely noticed I was, I was giving myself a very hard time, even though I had felt like I had a real harness on it. And I was only drinking a glass of wine. I really did keep a hand on it. But I think the fact that I'm spending every day trying to keep a handle on myself is obviously not good. And I'll also be the first to say that I don't think I have it as bad as some, you know, I have some friends who are like, there's, if they went near it, they would mm-hmm. be like black, black hole. They would be gone, you know, for months and they'd have to. So I try and remind myself like how great I feel when I'm not doing it, you know? And I mm-hmm. think that I do that. Like I was just in Ibiza and we were all out and I had a drink and I was like, I was kind of, I was like, bubbling it was a big night it was you know it was launching this big new project and i just thought like tomorrow i will regret this you know so i think my best advice i guess is to try and think about the effects it's going to have on you and like i don't know feeling good for me is like the best thing in the world so trying to remember that even though like having a drink at that one time i feel a little better i don't think it overrides like you know feeling amazing yeah and then do you get peer pressure for being like the sober one yeah i do you know i think that i'm really like, like peer pressure really doesn't work on me because i just like it like, annoys me i'm like yeah, yeah well you're not going to convince me you'll never convince me to, to do it but i get like jealous you know because i'm like fuck they look like they're having a lot of fun and i think one of the big things i've had is i've got a few really close friends that we've had like amazing nights like a bit fucked up mm-hmm. and kind of like we've like you know, I've actually got this one story about like me and my little brother. I used to like beat, we used to fight so bad. Like we used to just fight. And I used to start taking a lot of ecstasy when I was about 16 and I was working in the, sh- in the kitchen. One night I'd done a lot in my bedroom and I was probably like, on my own. So I didn't know what I was doing. And I went next to his room and I was like, listen, I got to just tell you, I'm so sorry for everything that I ever did to you. And I'm never going to beat you up ever again. And the couple of weeks later, he tried to he'd like wind me up and I grabbed him and I was like, I told you I'm never going to beat you up again. So don't push me. And he like burst into tears. And I was like, so, you know, there has been amazing moments for me when I've, you know, been and with my best friends, like sharing moments. So yeah, I guess I get FOMO, I guess is the, <laughs> is the, is the, is the word. But you just, you know, and we were talking about this yesterday, like no judgment, do what's best for you and hope that everyone is healthy and I, we'll get into the, I know um, there is something I want to talk about more but I want to before we get to my next topic or my next next topic you being a nomad you're yes, saying uh, this can you explain that yeah I mean I guess I joke I'm not like a nomad nomad like hard nomad like I mean I you're know, you're what, at the Sunset Tower Hotel you're, you're yeah <laughs> I, 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 am at the, I am at the Sunset Tower and I'm blessed to be in a few good Airbnbs but you know in the middle of that there's been some pretty ropey uh, moments you know on the road and pretty tough moments but you know I think COVID was so hardcore and like I was on Zooms all day, every day. I was doing like, tw- I think one day I maxed out like 25 Zooms and did like half hour Zooms every day. Wow. Yeah, and I was I was done. And and I just thought, wow, like right now, no one expects you to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go to wherever the job is. I can land a job on Zoom. You know, before you would fly, they would fly me. If like I'd flown to LA for a few meetings and it was mm-hmm. just like mad that. So I think that, 
with the world changing, where I just spotted an opportunity to be like, right, let's let's get on the road, you know? Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, I was on the road for seven weeks because I was on Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I could be anywhere. And we went to 10 national parks in an RV and just camped. And I've probably moved houses since COVID started all within Austin five times. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot of houses. Yeah, but where we are now, never moving. It's perfect. Wow, that's that's a good feeling. I actually realized now that I have no, I've never had a house, a home. Yeah, and I don't know what like I'm. Ne- I have no property. I have no property. I have no, uh, like, I have a car here in LA, and I have a storage unit, and I have a storage unit in LA and a storage unit in London, which is the same storage unit I had when I left. So I've never really. I've always been a nomad, I guess, but like right now for last year, I'm ultimate nomad. Yeah, I've moved a lot, and I always think. Like, if that is something that I got from my mom to be comfortable with constantly being in different places. Because my mom, she, with her schizophrenia, um, paranoid schizophrenia, was always moving and yeah. uh, leaving, running. Not that I'm running from any, anything, but I'm so comfortable with moving. Yeah. And maybe that's a characteristic I got from her. I don't know. I was thinking. Well, it's, it, it, yeah, mu- I mean, it must be because some of my friends have these like, amazing homes that have got all these like memories of their life and these like, oh, we got that there. And this is me when I was a kid. And I'm just like, I don't really, the, the idea <laughs> yeah. of like pictures of, I don't know, maybe I don't see my childhood as like. I know, I everyone's know. like, yeah, the memories. Remember this, I have all these photo albums. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not great at capturing memories, but that could be something from the past where we just don't have this connection with you know memories i need to go talk to my therapist yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) i know the i know the feeling so i want to talk about your big new project um yes yes yes, uh snorkeling yeah yes 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 can you explain that because i'm super excited for this to come out yeah, it's my first film. My friends keep joking. It's my life's work because it's just taken so long. And, you know, you hear all these stories about films taking a long time. And, you know, luckily there's a lot of stories of like great filmmakers having similar, you know, hard journeys. But definitely it feels like sometimes you just feel like, wow, is it ever going to kind of come out? And we've been making it for a long time. Ultimately, ultimately it was a, a script and a film about a, a fictional drug you know, that when you took, it was called snorkeling, and you had this kind of out-of-body experience. And, you know, as I was making it, there was a lot going on in the world, you know, with like fentanyl and just like a lot of these amazing artists, you know, dying and overdosing. It's just, it felt like there was a lot going on in the drug, in the drug culture, in the youth. And obviously I was such a big part of that growing up, you know, I was mm-hmm. really deep, deep in it. So for me, when I started making the film, I just wanted it to feel very authentic and very real. And you know, growing up on movies like Kids, you know, that was just mm-hmm. so, like, so real. And, like, you know, being a fan of those types of movies like American Honey or Florida Project or, you know, The Rider, like those these kind of movies that explored reality within a film. So, yeah, we, you know, it's two, it's two amazing actors, um, Daniel Zolgadri and Kristen Frosif, who are both doing amazing things right now. And then the rest of the cast was, was street cast in Vancouver. And they're, they're you know, there's a, vo- a real voice of the youth in there. That's what I was trying to really capture is I wanted the youth to tell me what it was like. And I was kind of looking at it for a lens of a fictional drug 
So it's been a journey. You know, we finished it. It was very low budget. We got like attention within the industry and then ended up working with some amazing music artists on the soundtrack. And then da- the director, David Eyre, um, really kind of fell in love with it and has been helping me finish it. So ultimately, I've like finished it like four times. And it just feels like I'm never, ever going to say like it's finished. <laughs> um, but I think it is finished. Yeah, you so worked on it for like six years. Is that what you said? Or four, four, four years. Four, four years. Year, four years since I shot it. So I okay. mean, since I had it, it's probably you know, it's a long. Yeah, it's a long time. I get that. Um, yeah, just excited for it to come out. You know, I think I have a very, I have a lot of thoughts about the traditional industry as well, the traditional cinema industry and where that's going, and like streaming and stuff like that. And for me, this film, I just really want to get to the youth. I want the youth to be able to see it and. And take it for theirs. I, you know, I'm less interested in the critical acclaim or whatever. You know, the reviews. I'm more interested in like what the youth, how the youth perceive it. And what would your message be to the youth? What do you want them to get from the film? Well, I think ultimately it revolves a lot around mental health. You know, ultimately it's a love story. It's like boy meets girl, girl does drugs, boy does drugs, they go off the rails. You know, it's a it's a simple love story. But I think ultimately it's about two young kids that are escaping their home life mm-hmm. and escaping it kind of through leaving the house and then furthering that by escaping through drugs, you know, which was exactly like what I did really. Yeah, um, we, were, we were talking about that. I like I like what you mentioned to me before in our conversation um, yesterday. Um, I think it was Young Thug and explaining yeah. like you and I escaped from our home because it wasn't a safe place. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, it's interesting to hear different POVs on the film, you know, because people would say that, like, for some kids growing up, the home is where it's, like, safe. Like, you're so safe in the home. And out on the street is is dangerous. But for me, and I don't know some other kids, like, the home was not safe. And actually being outside in the nature was where I felt the most safe, you know? If I think back to, like, my childhood, like, all of my life was ultimately, like, out in the field behind the back. You know, that's where I smoked. That's where I smoked weed. That's where I rode motorbikes. That's where I hung out with my friends. So I think, you know, with the film, just trying to really let the youth know it's okay to talk about it as well. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, like, I think that obviously the world has become very vocal about it, which is, like, amazing. You know, but, but growing up, like we said, like, it wasn't like that for me growing up. You know, you couldn't be like, oh, I've got anxiety. Like, your friend would be like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think and I knew all... the word anxiety until, like, five years ago. <laughs> I agree. I say that to people all the time. I thought it was, like, something that I've learned in America. Like, I don't think, it, but I guess it was my age. But in London, it's like, no one ever said to me, I'm, I've got anxiety. It just was like, you know, all the other things, just usually a hangover. That's what I thought it was, but it's yeah. probably more than that. Yeah. So, okay. So snorkeling, your invented drug, but it's kind of in today's society, kind of like what fentanyl is. It, it's, it's more of a, it's more of a hybrid of a lot of drugs. It's, yeah. it's, it, 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 I think the fentanyl conversation has come almost as we were making the film. Like, well, not as we, yeah. Like the first conversation I had with a kid on the street, when I was looking for locations, I said, tell me about like the drug vibe around here like what's the deal and he was like oh there's this drug fentanyl and i'd never heard of fentanyl this was like 
four years ago in Vancouver, you know, and he's like, oh, my friend just died because he was on the weed that he smoked. And I was like, what? There's a drug that is on the weed mm-hmm. that you owed. And then basically I went down a rabbit hole, you know, obviously. And, and then as I started to meet more young people, every one of them had one person next to them that they knew, like one degree of separation from someone who had overdosed from fentanyl. And I just thought it was so mad that like the world didn't really know about it. Mm-hmm. And I think now, you know, there's been some cases, there's been some things in LA. And I don't even, I think my friends in London are like, it's not here, it's not here. It's like, I yeah. don't know, you know, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty bad in yes. the US right now. Two of my very good friends lost a sibling within the past year from that on an accidental yeah. overdose. So I'm always like in a non judgmental way. You know, just putting it out there as a PSA, just to be careful. Like, it's out there. And we were talking yesterday about, like, if it was us back in the 2000s, we would have been, would have been oh, over. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I was just doing anything that anyone had, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah, it's tough because I've actually fallen out of a couple of, well, not, you know, I've fallen out of a, a really good friend of mine from when I got sober and he was like, you've, you've changed, you think you're so pretty, like, high and mighty, you know? So I was like, you know, so I obviously don't want to be the guy that's like preaching to everyone, like don't do yeah. drugs, but like I just genuinely worried, you know, that it is a thing. And I don't know, I guess when I guess there was always a worry, wasn't there, when you were taking drugs that you could overdose. There was always those stories of like your liver, you drink too much water, all these like stories. And I guess when I was young, I didn't care. I was just like, mm-hmm. whatever. So I guess that's probably how a lot of people feel today. You know, it's like it's just a risk that they're prepared to take. Yeah. That was our Which little PSA. Just be yeah. careful. Be careful. Yeah, be there. careful. Be careful. Exactly. Just do the, like we said yesterday, just do the testing kits at least. Or like, yeah. you know, just, I don't know. I think you should got to be just careful. Yeah. So you had panic attacks in the past. How are you now? Do you have panic attacks? Or what are your, your tools to stay mentally well? Yeah, I think the panic attacks came from the insane hangovers, you know, mm-hmm. like, Sometimes if I would go really crazy, I would just drink the next day to just kind of like keep not to prolong the hangover. So when the hangover came, it was like yeah. five days of it, you know? So I don't, I haven't really had any panic attacks since I got sober, you know? I, I, I would, <coughs> I think being sober is like, someone said to me at Glastonbury, this young kid was like, I think it's like a life cheat code, you know, <laughs> because it's like, and I, I just believe I was like, I was a quarter of a man, then half a man. Now I'm like, I'm up at, I'm up early. I'm beast mode. I'm like, work's getting done. I'm being a father. I'm, I'm just like, I'm so on level, like a thousand. You know, I couldn't say more how I think it's life-changing. But I think, you know, the times when I get really low is when I let also other things slip. You know, I got into meditation recently, which I know is kind of tough for some people and was tough for me. Uh, and then I found like a transcendental meditation, which mm-hmm. really, really worked for me. And like, in a way, it was kind of druggy in a weird way because it gives you this like insane kind of experience. It um, is true so that, though. Like I, so I've done TM and then um, other silent meditation, sometimes guided, but it does make you feel like you're high naturally. Yeah. It's your yeah. heart rate slows down though. You're so much more at peace. You're, and even sitting in silence, um, I went to uh, a meditation retreat with my husband uh, that Kyle Cease, who was on the podcast, led. And we literally would sit in silence for two hours. 
but it was like wow. so healing. Like, and that's what yeah. Kyle always says is if you can't sit in silence with yourself, then how do you expect anyone to sit with you? Oh, uh, hundred percent. I know. And like, I'm the worst Like, my brain is like a thousand miles an hour. So yeah. yeah, it's been, it's, it's a great, a great technique. And I think when I've, my friends are like, oh, meditation, meditation. I'm like, bro, it's just literally like I have a nap. That's basically what I do. I like, I close my eyes and I have a, a 20 minute like power nap and I do it twice a day. And like, sometimes like the other day I was having really bad anxiety and I was kind of tripping out about a lot of different things and I hadn't been meditating. Mm-hmm. I went and did a 20 minute meditation. I came out, I was like, poof, I'm back, you know, like it was crazy how much it worked. And I think all those things, you know, I have cold showers every day. Sometimes if I'm by the ocean, I swim every day, you know, eating well, lots of water, things that I genuinely don't do enough, like sauna steam, like things that I really don't do enough. But when I'm doing all of those things, I'm like on top of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. And for those listening, um, so TM, Transcendental Meditation, is very much like Vedic, which Deepak Chopra teaches and I trained under him. So it's like 20 minutes of silence with your personal mantra, hopefully twice a day. And it's, it's magical. And if you can't do it twice a day, or if you can only do five minutes, I just suggest whatever you can do. Yeah, when I'm doing twice a day, I feel like I'm on like cloud nine. Yeah. When I first started it, I couldn't believe it. I was like so visceral, you know, when you, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was, uh, I think anything you can do to make yourself feel better is great, you know? Yeah. And the, like everything that you listed <laughs> is everything that I do too. And, but then the days that I don't, or if I go uh, a week by, I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Just, uh, oh, when, when I go to my therapist and I say like, oh, this is how I feel, she's like, tell me what you're doing every morning. I'm like, mm, I'm getting up, I'm drinking four coffees, I'm doing 10 Zooms. And then I'm like, she's like, that. there you go. Yeah. 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 We know what we need. We just, and, yeah, exactly. I, and I was listening to a podcast this morning, a friend of mine on his podcast. He's like, just take care of yourself. You don't owe anything to anyone. Like you are number one. Like do what yeah. you need to do first and cut out that time in the morning. And don't take the pressure to have to, you know, but I've been there too. Like jump up, have some caffeine, zoom, 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 zoom. And then it's like crush. But we know what to do. We know what to do. It's just doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Emil, anything else you want to share? Any advice to those? I feel the listeners that will love hearing you are those who are going through recovery and living sober and dealing with the pressure and just any other tips there? Yeah, I mean, I think I've just been focusing on really trying to create an amazing life, you know, for myself and just thinking of all the t- all the time about like, what would like an amazing life be? Like if I could, and someone else said that to me at one point, like they was like, what's your perfect day? And I was like, oh, it's this, it's coffee, it's the, the, the it's seeing this person. You know, and they were like, just do that every day. And if you can do that every day, then you're going to have an amazing life. So I think just trying to figure out what an amazing day for you is and then just like replicating that every day. And then hopefully that, you know, in in its simplest form will be enough. Right. It can be so simple. I think we Mm -hmm. overcomplicate a lot of things. I agree. I agree. And I think that, you know, I don't know, I'm a big, I get, you know, jealous and this and that. I've got a lot of those high frequency kind of bad thoughts that I think that those are the things, you know, that, can harm your day you want that i want that i need to be doing that like i'm not doing that 
when just trying to kind of focus on yeah the simple things that make you happy and seeing if you can just like do those things i love that well thank you emil and everyone listening we will put in the show notes where to find emil and also snorkeling waiting for that to come out yes it's coming it's coming (laughs) thanks for having me it was great went fast Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence.